to Rasafari Around the World. We called him a little, uh, a little moo cow at one point. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my raw safari. Greetings. Hi. How are you? Welcome back to the only podcast with a host who has to struggle not to accidentally imitate the accents of his international guests, the Rasafari Podcast. Seriously, y'all, I'm having so much fun doing these interviews with zookeepers and conservationists all around the world. I really do have a hard time not trying to copy the accents I'm hearing, though. It's not intentional. My whole life, when I've heard people talk a certain way, my mouth just kind of tries to make it happen. I use the word y'all so much because my best friend for many years was Southern, and then I started touring Million Dollar Quartet, a show where almost every character, including my own, speaks with a Southern accent. It's like my brain can't help itself. Eh, what can I say? I'm weird. If you want to find out more about my weirdness, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And of course, make sure you're following along at Ross Safari on Facebook and especially on Instagram. You know, speaking of Instagram, it's a really great place to connect with people in the animal care world. That's where I first discovered my guest today, Becky Whiteleg. Becky is a keeper at Flamingoland, a Biazza accredited zoo in England. Biazza is the British and Irish Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and is one great example of what makes this interview unique. In many ways, the stories Becky tells will sound familiar. A passion for conservation, adorable animals, cute names and behaviors, you all know the drill by now. But there are also some really cool differences between zoos in the UK and the US. We talk about Biazza, how Brexit has affected zoos, and how the various languages spoken across Europe affect the animals that are moved for breeding programs. And even the stuff that does sound like my usual American keeper guests sounds a little different, because the animals aren't amazing, they are brilliant, or maybe they're a little cheeky. It really adds an awesome flavor to the episode, and I had a lot of fun doing this interview. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Becky Whiteleg of Flamingo. I'll start overthinking it. So I'm like, let's do this. Get it. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to shut up and we're going to do it. So. <laughs> All righty. So tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. Uh, hi, I'm Becky Whiteleg. Um, I work at Flamingo Land Zoo in North Yorkshire in England. Um, and I work with lots of different species, um, mainly small mammals, uh, large carnivores, and some species of birds as well. Very cool. And I'm sure we will talk about all of them. But as I like to do, let's start off by talking about you. Tell me what, what uh, made you interested in, in following this career path. Um, well, it was growing up, I was always um, like my parents would always laugh because whenever we go on holiday, I'd find some sort of animal to play with, whether it was a cat or just anything, or I'd find, like, the local wildlife park to go to. Um, and I was always very interested in animals, but I didn't really know that I could make that as a career um, until I got a little bit older. Um, once I got to um, college, so about 17 years old, um, I sort of had this weird moment where I was sat in a... a a computer class and it was kind of a breakthrough I was like actually you know what I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna see if I can I can do this um and right in that class I sent an email to my local wildlife sanctuary um <laughs> literally just down the road um he takes in injured pigeons and owls and stuff like that and releases them back into the wild eventually uh, once he's rehabilitated them um my first day I went in uh, he had me clearing and changing the old newspaper in the pigeon shed. And right from that, I knew straight away that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with these animals. I didn't care how 
smelly it was or anything like that. I wanted to work with animals. Um, and since then, basically, um, I got a degree in animal conservation science down in Plymouth in the south of England. Um, and while I was there, I did a lot of work experience with the local zoo um, in Newquay, which is a small little uh, town in Cornwall. Um, and with that, I was working with the carnivore section. So it was a lot of lions. Um, they have otters, meerkats, fishing cats, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, and again, it kind of cemented the fact I wanted to work with either small carnivores or large carnivores or something like that. Um, and from there, it was a lot of volunteering. Um, I ended up getting a job after that as well at my local uh, zoo to home as an education officer. So I did a lot of uh, animal talks, things like that. I learned how to really engage with the public, uh, which was really, really cool, actually, because I was such a shy kid. Um, it really helped me engage with people and actually realise that it helped the animals a lot more by talking to them and getting you know, getting them connected with them. Um, and from there, I just basically worked my way up. I did a, a couple of seasonal jobs as a keeper and then finally landed uh, this this job where I've been in nearly five years at Flamingo Land now. Wow, that's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. I'm curious. You said that uh, you uh, weren't much into public speaking before doing it with animals. Do you find that it was specifically talking about animals and knowing that you were like helping share their story that helped you get over it? Oh yeah, definitely. And seeing that, um, people connected so much more with them after you gave them this information. Um, it really, yeah, it made me, made me see that this is really, really helpful with animals. Like you can come to the zoo and you can, you can look at these animals, but until you know more about them. Um, and I think that comes from, like having another human share their um, their stories of these animals. And, yeah, it's just sort of more personal to the guests then. And they get Absolutely. to connect with these. And yeah. And, that, I mean, that's one of the things I try to do with this podcast, put a human yeah. voice on animals and, and make them easier to understand. So that's, that's very cool. What was the first animal that you ever gave a presentation with or a talk with? Oh, gosh. Um I would probably say that would be our um, the elephants at Twykwasu, um, because that was the first one I ever did uh, on my interview. Actually, they made us do a um, a talk on um, the animals there, and I had volunteered there previously, so um, I knew a little bit of information about them. They just had a, a baby at that point as well, little Esher. Um, and the response from that, it sort of, um, I think that's what really helped me get the job. And yeah, ever since then, it's, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved doing the elephant talks. It was unbelievable. Oh, that's so cool. I usually I'd expect it to be, you know, your first talk to be like, it was with a tortoise that couldn't get away and was easy. But you're like, it, it, it was elephants. Yeah, yeah totally yeah. elephants, <laughs> including a baby elephant. So I really needed to not drop the ball on that one. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, so you're in the UK and mm -hmm. I'm in the US and, um, like many Americans, my, my worldview is, is largely, uh, you know, central to America. Um, and there are just zoos everywhere here, like literally. So I live right outside of Philadelphia and within mm -hmm. a half hour, I can get to three AZA accredited zoos and an AZA accredited aquarium. And then there's another zoo that I would not go to that I'm not a fan of that I will not even say their name on the podcast, but they're like eh, maybe 40 minutes from my house. And then within two hours, I can have like, I don't know, eight or 10 more zoos, all accredited, all really good facilities. Um, what is what is it like in the UK? Uh, it's a little bit different. Like we do have um, a lot of very small collections, um, but... A lot of our main, um, like, Biaza, which is, um, I believe, just our British and Irish version of uh, AZA, which you have, um, a lot of our accredited zoos to that are quite spread out. So, um, for example, I think the closest one to me here in North Yorkshire, apart from Flamingoland, is Yorkshire Wildlife Park, and that is uh, an hour and 45 minutes away. Um, and then you have Chester Zoo, which is two and a half hours away. 
um, and all these different ones. They're, they're very much spread out. Um, you'll find with a lot of English keepers, uh, we've had to move quite a long way away from home. Um, it might be the same with American keepers as well. But um, yeah, for example, I'm from uh, the Midlands, so right in the middle of England. Um, and my parents still live there and it's about two and a half hours drive which in UK terms is a very very long way <laughs> um and yeah so uh, they're, they're really really spread out um but we are finding there are a lot more collections popping up all over the place now um which is is really nice to see and a lot of them are joining Biaza at quite a quite a good rate so well that's really yeah great. very <laughs> cool. very cool yeah I um I ah, I just love learning about different cultures and, and the way things are the same and yet different, you know. So mm-hmm. that's that's very cool. So let's let's talk about this place that you are working, uh, mm-hmm. Flamingo Land. Yes, that is uh, that's a pretty great name. Uh, I assume you guys have more than flamingos. We do. <laughs> um, do you know anything about the the history of Flamingo Land? How it why it's called Flamingo Land? Any of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's. Um, I believe it was in the 50s that it was opened. Um, it basically, um, a man called Pentland Hicks bought this site um, that was just basically a nice fancy house uh, with a lot of land. Um, and he opened, it was originally called Flamingo Park. Um, and the first animals we ever had were the the flamingos, basically. We still have a couple of original flamingos from that flock. Oh, that's um, really cool. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. Um, And so they're still there. um, And we basically expanded a little bit. It's turned into a sort of uh, typical uh, menagerie type English style, way back in the day, very old fashioned. Um, And then it got sold to our current owner's father, who um, also added lots of the theme park rides that we have now and things like that, but also expanded the zoo quite heavily. Um, and then uh, it passed to our current CEO, who's uh, his son, um, and he's done a lot of work with the zoo just to make it even bigger and better. He's got a lot of plans for it, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, it started off as a, a nice small place, basically, yeah, just focusing on flamingos for a while. But um, yeah, they're very much the... Um, the sort of main point of the zoo, definitely. That's cool. I love that. Very cool. Very cool. So um, let's let's get into your career there. What all do you take mm-hmm. care of? Uh, so I started on um, a little section we call Planet. Um, and it's basically, we have three species of uh, pigs on there. So we have red river hogs. We have uh, a very lovely warthog. Uh, we have some Vizayan warty pigs from the Philippines. Nice. I love warty pigs. They're really cool. Yeah, yeah they're brilliant. <laughs> Ours are absolutely lovely. We've got three girls for them. Um, and then we've also got lots of little small mammals on there as well. So we have uh, Asian short-clawed otters. We have banded mongoose, which are amazing. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I love them. They're um, they're quite rare in Europe as well. So we, own, we have uh, the main breeding group here. We have eight of them all together now. Wow. Um, and we We've just sent one male off to go and breed with uh, another female at another facility, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, and we've also got our cape porcupines and our meerkats on that section as well. So it's a really lovely little section. Cool. Well, um, before we move on to another section, you know that I like to hear about some individuals. So um, tell me tell me a little bit. Let's start off with the mongoose because mongoose mm-hmm. are just really cool. So so tell me about the, the, um, the family. Oh, yeah, well, so um, we've actually just had our dominant male pass away, unfortunately, but I'll tell you Sorry all about him. Oh, thank you. But he, he was a, a real character. His name was Tywin, um, and he lived to about 13, so he was, he was pretty good for a mongoose. Um, he was one of the only ones we can tell apart just at a glance um, because he were, he had a, a face like a bit of a grizzly bear. He looked very different. <laughs> It was lovely. Um, But he was the one who kind of taught all the other mongooses to trust us in a way. Um, He had um, a few health issues a couple of years ago. And we basically, I I was feeding him like six times a day. We basically nursed him back to health. And after that, he kind of decided, you know what? These these keepers aren't so bad. I I think I'm going to like them. Right. Because the the band of mongooses, they don't trust us quite as as well as some of the other animals, which is... um, 
a bit it makes it a bit hard to uh, weigh them or anything like that that we want to do so Tywin was a, a really integral part of um, gaining these mongooses trust and getting them to come over so we could perform health checks and stuff like that and he was just brilliant absolutely just a ridiculous mongoose, but a lovely little mongoose as well. <laughs> I miss him quite a lot, but yeah, he was good. <laughs> but yeah, and then all the others, they're um, they're very opinionated. I find they um, they like to try and get into everything. They're very um, if you try and put them away in a different area, they'll still find a way to get into you. Um, they're very cheeky. <laughs> they like to try and destroy their habitat quite a lot as well. Um, so it's really fun giving them lots of enrichment. Um, the main thing I found with them, though, as well, are our particular group. Um, I've seen lots of videos where mongooses um, are kind of not afraid of water, but they'll actively avoid uh, trying to get themselves wet. Uh, whereas ours, if you give them a big bucket of water, they'll just go in and swim round and round and round and round <laughs> over and over again. Don't know why, but yeah, they're proper little characters they are. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. And then you talked about uh, a warthog and some morty pigs. So tell me about mm. those goobers. Oh, they're brilliant. So uh, Troy, I absolutely love. He's our warthog. Uh, the best name ever for a warthog. Um, <laughs> so I've done lots of work with him, actually. Um, when I first started, um, he was very skittish. Um, and he he wouldn't stay in his uh, indoor area with us. He would go straight out if we came in the door. He wouldn't come anywhere near us. Um, and over these four years, I've kind of worked really hard to try and build up this repertoire with him now. So he'll uh, actually... He responds to commands now, so he, he will wait inside until you ask him to go out if you need him to, to leave. Um, he will take pa- uh, potatoes from my hand now, which is incredible. Oh, my gosh. It's just that like, having the opportunity to um, like learn his mannerisms in a way and, um, yeah, basically be able to know that he's put his trust in me to... Um, yeah, make sure that he's safe and that he knows that I'm not going to do anything to to harm him or anything like that. It's a really, really lovely feeling. Um, and it's, yeah, he's just absolutely the best. He's so sweet. Um, and I, I like to think that we've helped his uh, sort of uh, his quality of life while we've been here because I don't, you know, nobody wants their animals to feel stressed at the presence of their keepers or anything like that. Um, so it's really nice to know that he's no longer worried about us coming home saying hello to him now that's really really sweet and then uh you said you had three warty pigs mm-hmm. um for people that are listening that don't know um warty pig and warthog sound sound pretty similar are they are they similar animals are they related um i don't believe they're too related no so warty pigs come from uh the philippines um they only come from a few different islands on there um and they're incredibly endangered now these ones because uh a lot of the um people on the philippines have been hunting them uh for bushmeat and things like that um also there's been lots of predators introduced on those islands so um a warthog is a lot bigger um found in lots of different areas of Africa, uh, whereas the warty pig, they're a lot more compact, a lot smaller, a lot darker as well, and a lot hairier. Um, and we have three females at our collection. Um, we have Toya, who's mummy pig, as we like to call her, and then we have her two daughters, Jessica and Molly. All right. What, um, <laughs> those are just such, uh, you, you give such uh, human names to some of the animals. I find it. I know, funny. yeah. It's, it is really weird. <laughs> Like Jessica and Molly sound like the keepers, not not the pigs. I know, yeah, yeah. But what are what are their personalities like? Oh, so they're lovely. So Molly is the leader of the group. Um, she will barge the other two out of the way for any kind of food. Um, and Jessica is a sweetheart. She's so lovely. She'll be fir- like, if you're doing anything in the house, she'll be following you around. Like, what's going on? Can I can I have a look? Everything's great. <laughs> Um, and yeah, she's very, very curious. Um, and then Toya, mummy pig, she is probably the sweetest pig that we have on the section. Um, she absolutely loves, uh, scritches. So basically (laughs) it was a really actually, uh, quite a nice thing. So, um, she used to be very overweight. Um, and 
we managed to train her to do some exercise by running up and down her uh, uh, exhibit wall with a scratching stick. Um, we'd tap it on the wall and she'd hear it and come running over because she knew she was going to get a scratch. So we'd give her a quick one and then we'd run to the other side of the enclosure and give her another scratch and she'd keep running backwards and forwards and that's how she lost quite a lot of weight. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. really adorable. <laughs> Yeah, she is absolutely sweet. If you scratch her for too long, she'll just fall over so you can scratch her belly. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. I love that. I think so many people that go to zoos, um, I've been fascinated with this fact recently. I read somewhere that the average uh, zoo goer spends 17 seconds per exhibit. And that's just no time at all. And I think so many people would look at a warthog or a warty pig and, and see the warts and the little tusks and, and just be like, oh, weird. Okay, gross looking pig. Let's move on. And they are the sweetest animals and you have the best stories, which yeah. I do think. And I do think that's one reason that things like this podcast or even, you know, especially the, the keeper chats and stuff are so important. Anyone who heard that story would not be able to walk away from those, those little, you know, cuties. And it's just, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like the amount of times that um, we'll be on exhibit and we'll hear um, people will look at Troy and maybe sing a Lion King song <laughs> and then head off. And it's like, no, wait, let me tell you all about his little mannerisms. <laughs> You'll love him just as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> very, very adorable. I love it. So, okay, um, you, you said that that was all one section. How many sections mm-hmm. of the zoo do you work in? Uh, so I work on four different sections of the zoo. Wow. Um, yeah, our zoo, it, it depends on a lot of UK zoos. It is um, sort of you're on one section. That's the one you're trained on. You stay on. Um, Flamingoland's a little bit different. So we um, our keepers, we aim to train on multiple sections. So we get um, yeah like a varied uh, repertoire so we can jump on and help other people if we need to as well. Um, so as well as that section, I'm also trained on the big cat section. So that's got our lions, tigers, red pandas, and another set of meerkats as well. Um, you know that red pandas and meerkats aren't big cats, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just checking. Just, just. Checking. <laughs> just in the general area. <laughs> okay. So it's 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 like the geography of the zoo is what puts them in yeah. that area. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then what are your other two areas? Um, so then I also work with two bird sections. So it's called upper and lower birds. Um, upper birds is mainly our larger species. Um, so we've got like the emus, uh, the parrots. Uh, and then we've also got the Humboldt penguins and the flamingos around that section as well. Uh, and then on lower birds, I have the rainbow lorikeets, um, some white storks. And then I also have a, um, a like an African... Uh, Avery, so that's got hammercops, uh, it's got sacred ibis, it's got scarlet ibis, I say African Avery, it's it's just a big mishmash of different birds, uh, it's also got demoiselle cranes in it as well. Okay, very cool, very cool. So you know that I'm going to take it to, to your cat area next, and mainly mm-hmm. because I want to hear about your, your most famous cat, your red panda. Uh, <laughs> so So tell me, let's just get right to it, tell me all about your red panda situation, because I'm obsessed. <laughs> I know, I, I thought you might ask after reading some of the podcasts. Um, so we currently have three. Uh, we have our mum, dad and our baby. So our mum is called Bai Zhao um, and our dad is called Tai Zhang. And then our baby is called Little Hop. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's such a yeah. good name. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is brilliant. Um, so mum and dads are really, really sweet pandas. Mum especially, um, she's trained to do a lot of different behaviours. So our, our other cat keeper, uh, his name is Martin, he's done a really good job of training her to stand up. Um, so we can actually ultrasound her if we need to, because um, these two are such a good breeding pair. Um, we want to obviously keep going with breeding hopefully in the future so um that will really really help out um and the male is he's a little bit more uh he likes to hang back a little bit and if uh, if you make any sudden movements he's like now nah, see you later i'm not <laughs> not fussed <laughs> um but she'll hang around and yeah it is basically really sweet um and then little baby hop it's not really a baby anymore he's like six months old but he's so he's so lovely uh he is the most ridiculous baby panda. Um, I probably say that about a lot of the animals, but he he basically we called him a little uh, a little moo cow at one point because he spent <laughs> a lot of time on the floor 
just grazing on the grass away from his parents at like four months old. Just, I'll just, just eat this. It's fine. I don't want anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, he'll literally, if you're doing anything in the enclosure, you will look up and he'll be right in front of your face. Like what is going on here? I need to make sure everything's fine. Um, but yeah, he's very, very clever. He's already fe- figured out all of our enrichment feeders that we have in there for him. Um, and you can't really tear him away from that. So it's really lovely to see. <laughs> That's really awesome. I, I'm curious, do they all live together? They do, yeah, at the moment, yeah. Um, Mum and Dad are really, really good at getting on together. Um, once Baby Hop gets a little bit bigger, um, we'll probably have to send him off. So our last cub, who was called Bam Bang, uh, he was went called to what? <laughs> Bam Bang. Oh my gosh, you guys are so good at naming baby band. <laughs> Yeah, that was brilliant. That was our, our keeper, Laura's idea. She's really good at that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so he went to the Netherlands. Um, and I believe he's now got a girlfriend as well. So, uh, but yeah, eventually our little hop will head off as well, hopefully somewhere in Europe and uh, yeah, continue on breeding, which would be lovely. Yeah. Well, let's put a, let's put a pause on the animals for just a second because I'm curious. Um, I know that in the States and I mean, it is international to a point, but the AZA has, you know, stud books and breeding wrecks and move animals all around to help with that. Um, and we talk about that a lot on the podcast, the organization that you said you guys are a member of, um, Mm -hmm. do you guys do something similar? Is it, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much exactly the same from what I can see. So, um, we are accredited by Biaza, we call them, which is the British and Irish Association for Zoos and Aquaria. Um, and yeah, they basically, um, regulate all of the moves. Um, we also have European stub books. Um, so all of our stub book holders collaborate and yeah, move people, uh, move people, move animals around, uh, to other, other collections as needed, basically. So it's very similar to, to your uh, setup, I think. Yeah, no, it sounds exactly the same. That's really cool. I was, as I started to, I've only recently started talking to people uh, internationally. Um, and and you're actually uh, only the second international zookeeper I'm talking to. The first was in Toronto, where I've been, and they're still part of the AZA and all that. So I was excited, but also like a little nervous just because I did some research, but it was, it was hard to find. I was like, I'll just ask her and, and hopefully it, it all seemed very kosher. And I mean, your presence on, on Instagram and stuff, um, I can tell how much you love your animals. And, oh yeah. And okay. that, that was why like, I, I, I've, I, I follow so many keepers now, but like every time one of your little things would pop up, I was just like, oh, I should, I should talk to her. So <laughs> it, it's nice to know that everything's so well regulated and stuff over there. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, we also work in, like, because we have Biaza for British and Irish, and then we also have Iaza, which is the European version as well. Um, so we've done a lot in collaboration with them too. Um, like, a, there's even been some, like, reintroduction programs through them as well, uh, like Back to the World through Iaza. So, yeah, it's all, they all work together in, in sort of very much the same way, which is nice. Very cool. I'm curious, uh, does Brexit interfere with any of that and the transferring of animals and stuff? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, we we had a few animals scheduled to either move or come to us that we've either had to put on hold or we had to get it through before Brexit. Um, but I'm not sure on too many of the technicalities, but I know um, it is a lot harder for us to move animals from here to Europe. And uh, there's a lot more like red tape that we have to go through now, I think. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. I know I've heard some stories about... Um us trying to send uh, us meaning the states not me personally trying to send you know pandas and stuff to mexico and and even though it's all the aza there are still problems and occasionally it just can't happen which is which is a really bummer for the species you know so hopefully yeah, that can yeah. get legislated away worldwide at some point but um yeah okay but enough about the nerdy stuff let's get back to the cool stuff which is the animals which admittedly are also nerdy but um so what kind of uh what kind of cats do you have uh, so we have uh, Sumatran tigers and uh, African lions. Um, so our Sumatran tigers, are, they were a breeding pair. Um, sadly, at the moment, we've not got a recommendation to breed them. But uh, So we have a male and a female. Uh, they're both 12 years old. Um, they're called Surya is our female and Bao is our male. Um, Surya is very much your typical tiger. She's very switched on. Um, she is, she knows her own mind quite a lot. Um, she can be very aggressive sometimes, which is what we like, you know, good tiger behavior. 
Uh, whereas Barway, I, I always like to say, um, he's got television static in his brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when when he looks at you, he has this wide stare, and basically it's just that's all that's going on through there. It's, yeah. He's he's absolutely lovely, but um, and I don't doubt for a second that if we went in there, he could do us some damage. Um, but as as far as tigers go, he's he very much lets Saria take the lead. Um, if we feed them together, she will take as much as she can, and then he'll just be like, "Oh, just I'll just have a bit. That's fine." Uh, yeah, he's very kind of dopey, which is very lovely. But um, yeah, so they've had quite a few cubs together. Um, they had three uh, or five years ago now, um, which have all gone off to different zoos. So they're um, we've got one in Germany, I believe, and then the two sisters uh, went off to Naples in Italy, which is very nice. Um, and their latest cub, Menya, uh, was born when I just started training on the section. Um, she's, I think, three years old now, and she went to uh, a zoo in France called Amiens. And she's thriving now. She actually has a, a male partner as well, so hopefully she'll have some cubs soon, which will be amazing. Awesome. And that brings up another question about being a, a UK zoo. Just uh, in talking about moving around one species a little bit, you mentioned uh, Italy, Germany, France, the UK. Um, are there language barriers when it comes to like if an animal goes to a different place and and how you talk to them and all of that? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, we've had that definitely before. We've um, with the rhinos is the first thing that comes to mind. So um, we had a, a black rhino come to us from the Czech Republic um, and basically ignored everything we were saying. Um, until the keepers learn a tiny bit of uh, their language and uh, yeah it, it worked a little bit better um also um i work with two kuwatis uh, which were born in paris um and they i mean they're how old are they now they're nearly 14 uh, and they still only respond to French. Oh, wow. Um, and they have not lived in France for probably 12 years. They moved to England, yeah, about two years old. So, uh, yeah, they don't listen to me unless I speak That's French. fascinating. And you find it's easier <laughs> for you guys to just learn the, the terms and stuff in other languages rather than to try to retrain them? Um, pretty much, yeah. I, I do believe it depends on the animal. I think our Kuwaitis are just very stubborn. Um <laughs> And uh, with our rhino, he wasn't here very long, so we thought it'd make it easier on him um, for us to just make his transition a little bit easier. Um, but I definitely think animals definitely can learn. Like, we have had uh, animals come in the past. Um, and I know that um, when Menya went to France, her keepers basically said that um, she adjusted to them speaking French absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, it definitely does depend on the individual. That's really interesting. Very cool. What uh, what other big cats do you guys have? As uh, so we have a pride of uh, African lions, um, we have seven in total. So we have our big male. His name's Kamali. Uh, he is basically just like an old grandpa now. He's very chilled out uh, for most of the time. Anyway, he lets his uh, dominant female Mishka. Uh, if anyone steps out of line, she normally deals with them rather than him because he's just like meh, whatever. I'll, I'll just let you on with it um and then we have his three cubs uh monday monday tuesday and friday uh, yeah we we used to have wednesday okay. and thursday as well they've sadly passed okay, away that now makes a little more sense <laughs> so we did have all five yeah yeah um and then we also have uh zazi uh naika as well um zazi's our oldest female she's over 20 now um so She's uh, very chilled out as well. She's very interested in what our keepers are doing, but she likes to sleep a lot of the time. Um, Friday is our probably our most playful lion. She um, she likes to, if you're squeegeeing uh, in the keeper area, she'll try and batter it, bat the squeegee around and uh, she'll follow you with her eyes no matter what you're doing. She's always watching you. If you get too close, she'll uh, she'll try and make you jump, which is very, very funny. But yeah, they're, they're lovely lions. They really are. It's quite a nice group dynamic that they Very have. Very cool. Um, have we touched on what your favourite species to work with is yet? 
I think it will actually be the same as yours. My favorite species in the whole world is the red panda. See, I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just saying that, I promise. But I do. I absolutely love them. Uh, like when I was at Nuki Zoo, um, one of my first uh, interactions with the animals there was to hand feed a red panda because they were training them to come down. Um, and just that moment has stuck in my head forever. And yeah, I don't know what it is. They just have some sort of hold over me. They're just absolutely amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Same as I hold up my Red Panda Network hoodie, uh, which is one of many Red Panda hoodies. <laughs> you know? um, yes, no, that's that's very cool. So with uh, with Lil Hop and the other babies that you have dealt with, um, do you get to be hands on with them at all? Do you get to? Um, I mean, I know you said that um, she's a good mom, so I'm guessing you haven't had to like hand raise. But just what's your policy as far as um, when they're in the nest box and, and how much time do you get to spend with them? Uh, well, when they're in the nest box, we, we tend to, it was very quick, uh, in and out, quick check. Uh, we do actually have cameras in our nest box as well, so if need be, we could just do it like that. Um, just because um, in the past, she has been a little bit skittish. Um, but we've been quite lucky the past couple of babies. Um, no matter how kind of hands-off we've been, they've grown up to be very naturally curious of us. Um, and that's enabled us to uh, do training with them very, very early on. Um, so, for example, now a little hop, he is crate trained. Um, he is scale trained as well. Um, and we can actually um, physically give him a body condition uh, exam if we need to as well, which is really, really lovely. Um, I don't know if it's got much to do with like the personalities of the parents combining, which is really lovely. But um yeah, we've been very lucky and I think that the initial hands-off um, has really worked to our advantage because uh, they've kind of grown up seeing that we're not uh, not a threat and mum's been actually a bit more relaxed with us, which has enabled them to come a bit more confident later on, which is lovely. That's very cool. Yeah, baby pandas are my favourite thing. I have now gotten to uh, hang out with five of them and Amazing. and it... it, it... I'm literally getting emotional thinking about it. Like literally, <laughs> I just, I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. I catch myself a lot of the time if I'm feeding them. Uh, Cause obviously we're, we're kind of still in lockdown. So our, our zoo is closed and very quiet. Um, just catching myself having these moments with them where it's just me and them and sort of being like, how, how am I so lucky to work with such a, an incredible animal? I'm like that with most of the animals, but the red pandas, especially there's something about them. Do you ever, I mean, you kind of, I guess, just said this, but but do you ever stop to appreciate the fact that you made it happen yourself? Like you were sitting in that computer class and you did it. Yeah, it blows my mind a lot of the time because um, I remember thinking for so long when I was younger, um, this is why I tell a lot of uh, students that I work with, that I always used to think of it as a, a kind of a rock star job. Um, whenever you... Uh, sort of research zoo jobs in the UK, especially because there are so few zoos, um, it's very much drummed into you. It's a very hard uh, career to get into. Um, so I am very proud that I managed to work so hard. And if you really do want it, it's definitely uh, sort of, you know, it's it's easy enough to get into once you put the, the work in but it's finding that work in the first place so yeah definitely I get those moments quite a lot where I'm like oh I'm actually here it's bizarre yeah no that's that's really cool I, I keep having that same thing as I get to meet animals and stuff even just for the podcast but I'm just like you you did this you thought of a thing and you made it happen and now you get all these perks and it's 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 really it's really empowering you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it definitely. Um, that's what I always tell my students as well. Is like, if you really, really want it, you can get it. Like, it is. It, you just got to be have the right mindset for it. Um, and once you do get it, is the best feeling in the world. I love that. Now I'm going to have to hit pause for a second because you just said that you have students. Tell me about that. Yeah. So we um, we are very lucky. We actually have a. Um, uh it's kind of a university campus near us um and these students they're uh, doing university courses basically and on this on this site they have uh a little mini zoo i guess um 
it's really really sweet so they've got uh, lemurs and raccoons and uh skunks i believe and things like that and a lot of larger species as well um so they come to us twice a week um a lot of the time so they get a lot of practical hands-on experience wow um, yeah it's really really good for them and a lot of them um it kind of again like i had with the um the wildlife sanctuary is very much a moment for them like yes this is what i want to do or sometimes it's this isn't i don't think i can do this but then they also have lots of other opportunities at that university so it's a really good way of um yeah cementing the career for some people and changing it for others but it's really really nice that's very cool. Yeah, I've 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 heard this said a lot with uh, the entertainment industry, my my day job, um, and I think it applies to zoos as well. Where if if you can do something else, do it, because most jobs pay more and are easier and are easier to get into and all that jazz. Um, our industries are industries for people who literally have to be there, and I don't mean that in a, like a bad way, but I mean like in your heart, you have to be there. It is yeah. what you are doing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, I could, yeah, I can never ever, like, I, yeah, I, if I wasn't doing zookeeping, I don't know what I could do because it was, it was always the number one for me, definitely. Yeah, and that's always how it was with me for drumming my whole life. And now, now suddenly I find myself also wanting to work with animals and being confused because my entire life it was one thing and now, now it's, it's two and that's confusing, <laughs> but maybe it's just a midlife crisis. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> The Rasafari Midlife Crisis Podcast. <laughs> so, um, so I have, um, I've done a lot of bird people interviews recently. So um, I don't want to delve too deeply into all of your birds because we've done some bird episodes, although people love birds. But, but pick one or two favorites. I know you've got at least a couple of really cool ones you can tell me about. Oh, yeah. So, well, my, my most favorite is the penguins. Um, and before I worked here, I never, ever thought I'd work with birds. I am not, or I was not a bird person at all. Um, like I could appreciate the beauty of them, um, and how amazing they were, but I could, I didn't want to work with them. Um, I just didn't feel like I had the experience for it or anything. But, um, once I started working with the penguins, we've been very lucky this past year to hand rear a lot of our own Humboldt penguins. Um, they've really, really won me over. <laughs> um, so we had, we've raised, uh, seven, uh, young Humboldt penguins this year. Um, quite a few of them from sort of day one. Um, and it's been a real amazing experience just to watch this little, uh, little bird grow up and successfully integrate into a flock of adult penguins and just then let them go it's uh it's quite a bizarre experience but it's really really satisfying to know that they're now behaving as a normal adult penguin should so, yeah it's really really cool i absolutely love them nice awesome any others you want to mention bird wise oh oh i'm not sure maybe the emus as well i do i have a bit of a soft spot for the emus um again we also have a, a young emu called maggie um who is very um She's a bit interesting. She will, uh, she's very high spirited. So she'll, uh, if she wants food, she will uh, basically, until you put the food down, she'll be over your shoulder. Like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> Come on. Uh, whereas the other adults, they're very much like, oh yeah, you can put it down wherever, whatever, it's fine. I don't mind. Um, but it's just something about working with these larger birds um, and gaining their sort of confidence in a way um yeah it's it's really different to anything that I've I've known before because we do work in with our emus and um I don't really work in with any species that are larger than me or even sort of the same kind of height so it's a whole different um kind of ballpark learning the different um yeah learning their mannerisms and yeah having them be close to me it's very strange <laughs> but it's it's very sort of uh oh, what's the word challenging but good in a way. good challenging that's cool and i know that you guys have reyes as well and i've, I've heard that they are basically jerks uh tell, tell me about your reyes we do, i believe they are yeah they're actually on a completely different section they oh, okay, are on okay. a south america section but and we have oh i can't even tell you how many i think we have about seven or eight um 
and yeah, they are horrible to to uh, to each other and to their keepers. Um, yeah, we we've had um, we've had the public before come up to us and go, these these rear they're just being awful. And you look over, it's like oh no, it's just mating season. It's absolutely fine. But um, yeah, it's it doesn't look great. But that's what they do. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Fair, fair. So um, now is the time that I will open the floor to you. If you have any conservation organizations or any humans, anything you want to give a shout out to. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so Flamingoland actually has a really, really cool uh, forest project um, out in Tanzania. Um, It's called the Unsungua Forest Project. Um, And it basically it's um, protecting this uh, forest just past the um, Udzungu Mountains. It's called Magambera Forest. Um, and basically, this forest, um, it's completely cut off from any other... Like, there's no corridors to other uh, forests or anything like that. It's completely cut off. It's surrounded by um, mostly game reserves and things like that. Um, and basically, this forest is incredibly important because it has, um, like, over 40% of the trees in this forest are endangered or only found in that part of Africa. Oh, wow. Um it's really, really cool. Uh, it also has um, the highest concentration of anywhere in Tanzania of these endangered uh, red colobus monkeys. It's and they're really, really endangered. Um, so, and it's also a pretty um, important refuge for lots of elephants from the surrounding areas as well. From these game reserves, they can come into the forest. Um, so they've done a lot of research in this forest um, and they've discovered a lot of new species, actually. They've discovered uh, several species of tree. They've discovered this new chameleon called the Magumbera chameleon that's only found in this forest and one other in the whole of Tanzania. Oh, wow. Really I have to look that up. I yeah. love chameleons and I've never heard oh, of that. Really? That's really cool. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's awesome. It's a really lovely chameleon. Um, and basically... What this project is doing is they're um, working with the local environment to basically restore and protect this forest from future threats. Um, So they're um, restoring the forest, they're planting new trees, uh, they're uh, conducting lots of research into all of the uh, colobus monkeys and everything like that so they can understand how the forest resources are being used. And they're also teaching, there's a lot of communities around this forest. So they're actually teaching these communities how to live off the forest in a sustainable way and not negatively impact it, which is really, really cool. Um, And then they're also working on lots of eco-tourism and bringing people and money to the area to make sure that uh, it can keep running for many years to come, which is really, really awesome. Um, So we're we're doing a lot of work out there and and a lot of times... um, us keepers actually get to go out and visit and help out, which is really, really cool. I hope I get to do that at some point. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. If you get to do that, I want to do another episode and just talk all about it, okay? Okay, definitely. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was, it was one of the main reasons I really wanted to work at Flamingoland because um, it's, it's so nice to see an organization doing so much um, for work actually in situ as well not just uh, obviously zoo work is really really important but doing stuff in the wild as well is so important to me so it's really important that I uh I came to work here that is that is incredible what a what an absolutely awesome uh project that's I'm I'm gonna spend I mean you've just ruined my day I'm going to spend <laughs> hours researching these chameleons and the monkeys and the, the land in general. And this pri- you've, you've taken my day away from me, but oh, that's good. okay because I'm in <laughs> lockdown and I don't have crap to do anyway. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> amazing. And now it is time for the Rasafari poop story. Okay. Uh, so mine basically involves these baby penguins that I was talking about. Um, so this was when, cause we did our penguins in, uh, like waves. So we did two at once and then we did another two and another two, etc. Um, so our, um, this was during the first lockdown, I believe that we had here. We're now on our third. Um, and during this lockdown, our CEO, um, liked to come around quite a lot. Um, just check up on the keepers, make sure we're okay. Obviously, he was still running the business at this point, so he was still just coming around, making sure everything was okay. Um, his name is Gordon. He's absolutely lovely. He's always very well-dressed. 
Um, very, <laughs> he looks a lot better than all the keepers do. Um, so I hope he doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> who knows? Um, so I was um, I was bringing our baby penguins back from the pool from their nursery crush uh, to go overnight in our stables to keep them nice and warm um and he always used to wait outside the stables because he really loves the baby penguins and he always used to like to say hello so I was bringing this this penguin back uh one of them was walking I was carrying the other one uh and we stopped to have a quick chat and while we were chatting I suddenly felt this big warm patch appear down the hall of my front um and <laughs> I, yeah, I looked down and sure enough, this baby penguin had there. Obviously, you know, penguins have this reputation for being able to shoot poo everywhere. Um, and he had not disappointed. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically had to stand there trying to maybe move the baby penguin to try and cover it while <laughs> also trying to look normal while talking to my CEO <laughs> of the company. <laughs> and feeling absolutely disgusting but and then just having to awkwardly excuse myself with penguin poo all over me so yeah that was that was a fun day and that is why rebecca never got another promotion yeah yeah pretty much (laughs) awesome well thank you so much for taking the time to do this i really appreciate it thank you it's been really really fun yeah i really enjoyed it i love that so much one of my favorite things when i think about this episode is just how cool that is that becky was just sitting in her computer class and was like nah i'm gonna do animals and then made it happen In a country where it's a lot harder to do that than in the U.S., where it's still very hard to do that. What a cool human being. If you would like to check uh, Becky out on Instagram, you can find her at rawrebecca. And you can check out Flamingoland at Flamingoland Resort or online at flamingoland.co.uk. And of course, all of these are going to be in the show notes, so make sure you're checking them out. Also, if you could do me a favor and you've, you've listened to this episode and maybe, you know, hit subscribe and uh, leave a five-star rating if you're willing and uh, maybe even leave a review. They really do help people find the podcast and hear these amazing stories of, of awesome animal-loving humans and the work that they are doing to save them. And uh, don't forget, patreon.com slash rossafari is where you can go to support the show. And now I'm going to support your ears with the Stiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.